Hello and welcome back to the podcast of Wednesday's Child. I'm your host, Debbie Watson, and I am delighted to be joined again today by one of our favourite therapists, Sarah Parker of Well of Being. Sarah, it's just so lovely to see you. How are you? Oh, Debbie, I'm really well, thank you. And do you know what? It's lovely to be here with you again. I know you and I haven't spoken for a while, and it's so good to connect again with you with Wednesday's Child. So thank you for having me. Oh, bless you. Well, for those that don't know, Sarah is super busy in the world of eating disorder recovery support and has also shared with us on a previous podcast episode about her own journey with an eating disorder, which she managed to heroically recover from and then has found her path professionally helping others which I always just take my hat off to her that's just the most amazing and wonderful thing and you can understand why we at Wednesday's Child love her as much as we do so how have things been Sarah and you know I mean I know you're kind of constantly busy give me a sense of what the kind of world of of therapeutic support for people with eating disorders looks like is it changing is it busier than ever Is it more young people, older people? Is it much the same? I know that, you know, there were significant changes post-COVID, I I suppose, with people finding therapy more online and perhaps reaching out for help more. But I'm interested to know, as a practitioner and professional, whether you can share anything with the audience around what you're seeing. I guess my experience, Debbie, um, and again, as you know, previously I worked in a specialist eating disorder service in the NHS and left um, to develop my own business supporting people outside of the NHS for a variety of reasons, really, but mostly because I didn't feel like I, I could support people as fully and as valuably as I wanted to in the NHS. And so I guess I see a very different perspective now and it is busy and it's always busy. Um, and and I think the saddest thing is that I see more than ever now is a lot of people seeking support that they can't get within the NHS. And that's two main reasons. One is Still, we have criteria in the NHS. And on the one hand, I understand that there's limited funding. On the other hand, an eating disorder is an eating disorder. A struggle with food and weight is a struggle with weight. And I I don't believe that we should be differentiating. Um, And so that there are people that seek me out because they can't get that support or because that support hasn't worked for them. And, And something that really sadly I'm seeing more and more at the moment is people who have struggled to fit what the NHS want them to fit and so so let's be candid when you're saying struggling to fit are we talking about the swear word of BMI are we talking about precise criteria under which somebody might feel they would proceed through a triage process to get support for an eating disorder we are talking about that but we're also talking more important no not more importantly as importantly about those people that meet criteria get support but actually that support often they're expected to fit the support that's given rather than support fitting the person that's needing the support. Wow. And when that person doesn't fit, often it can be a really difficult experience. And I've, you know, I'm working with people that are really struggling because of difficult experiences of that support not fitting them and not being helpful. 
I think that's so interesting and it and it's pertinent to what we wanted to talk about here today about really the central theme being how do you know you're picking that right therapeutic relationship and right therapeutic approach, not just the person, but the the service, the delivery offering that is right for you at your stage of recovery or given the journey or situation you're in with your eating disorder. So let's dig into that a little bit more. What is it you're seeing around people that just, as you say, aren't fitting with that solution? Often what I see is they're offered a group and not one-to-one which they don't feel comfortable in I mean we all know that there's huge amounts of shame often for people that are struggling with their relationship with food and weight and so to go straight into a group that may be online with people that we don't know that's particularly difficult particularly daunting yeah yeah not impossible and may sometimes turn out to be the right thing for some people but I think that We can't just push people into doing things that don't feel right. I think the other thing is that, you know, we know that there's a a kind of a a huge link between and people with who are on the autistic spectrum who have ADHD, they're overrepresented in eating disorders. And so what we start to see is they don't fit what's been offered and what's been offered isn't tailored enough. And so that, we start seeing, for example, somebody that says, well, I, I want a ham sandwich every every day for my lunch. For somebody that struggles with lots of change and lots of, that might actually be appropriate, but a lot of eating disorder services will struggle to think, okay, let's look at this individual and what's going to be right for them. And we say, no, 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 you've got to have variety. You've got to have this. And yes, in an ideal world, we're looking at variety But it may not be that that person's avoidant of food. It might just be that actually there's something that for them is more comfortable in having a different pattern than what somebody that isn't neurodiverse might want. So it's really looking at who is, who is, who is the individual? Who is this human in front of me? What do they need? And actually trusting because what, what I experienced within my own treatment at times And what I see quite often is we assume that somebody with an eating disorder is being manipulative to avoid facing struggles with their eating disorder. Now, that might be true and that's understandable because of the fear, but it might not be true. It might be that they're genuinely saying, I actually believe this is going to be best for me. And we need to listen to that. We need to be able to see that it isn't just an eating disorder speaking. There's a human being in front of us, too. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it takes me back to that scary moment of my first admission when I can remember there was a form that I had to fill in with the nursing team and you had three food items you could tick that you genuinely did not like or were allergic to. And other than that, shut up and follow the regime. And, you know, I know there has to be a cutoff point where Mm. they have to try to make it easier on themselves, but... Perhaps now more than ever, you would hope that whether it be inpatient or a therapeutic relationship, we see the nuance, we see the human, we see the individual story. I really hope that's happening, but I fear that's not always the case. Yeah. And, you know, Debbie, I do understand that, that you know, funding is limited, but that's not a place to say, OK, funding's limited. Let's not change anything. It's a place to say funding's limited. Why? What are we doing about this? Why are we not pushing more for this? And the people are, but it's 
feels hard to shift it. Oh, I you you're talking to someone who's running a not for profit eating disorder organization, and oh my god, I can tell you it's tough. It's really yeah. tough, and it's yeah. not like we don't know how big the demand is and and how significant the problem. No, 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 and I, you know what? I think we know that there are lots of lots of barriers, but that doesn't mean to say we we stop trying to get over them. We carry on trying to get over them because it's important because from what I see and from what the statistics show, things are only getting worse. We're not getting it right. You know, we're not getting it right and we're not making as big a difference as we need to be making. So when someone reaches you, however that happens, whether they discover you online, get a referral, find you organically through social media or hear you talking on the Wednesday Child Podcast, <laughs> when, when they come to you, what what as a therapist what are you trying to do in those initial you know moments sessions to discover the individual what are the key things you're thinking about well i think there's lots of things first of all the first thing i do is offer somebody a, a free 20 minute call because it, they're investing and i've got to be right for them so <laughs> the first thing i do is say ask any questions you want to ask get a feel for me because if I'm not the right person, they don't invest in me. You know, people want different things from a therapist. And I think we've got to respect that. Um, so the first thing I do is offer people an opportunity to get to know me. Because relationship I, is important. It's well, it. central, isn't it? It's central. Trust is central to anything we can do. And we can we can have all sorts of fancy, fancy interventions and different approaches, but without a relationship. I don't think we can get anywhere, actually. Nowhere meaningful. No. So that's the first thing. But then when I start working with somebody, what I, you know, of course I want to know about their eating disorder and their struggles and what they want and what the future could look like for them. But what I want to know is about them. What music do they like? What friends do they have? What what makes their friendships meaningful? What do they love to do outside? What did they do before their eating disorder? Not, not because I want to take them back to who they used to work, be, because who they used to be was the person that ended up with an eating disorder. Mm. I'm curious about what is there as well as the eating disorder? Because if we only look to and nourish an eating disorder, we're going to grow that. We need to look to and nourish the human being so that we can grow that as well. And so, you know, therapy for me isn't all about, oh, let's look at this problem. It's about what music do you love? What do you love to do? What brings you alive? What makes you laugh? All of those things are really valid. What shops do you like to shop in if you're buying clothes? Just that, that takes me to that central um, sentence that I just love and I think is so apt for eating disorder recovery and this is sort of the kind of the therapy beginning of that question around it's not what's the matter with you but what matters to you I think yeah. like if your therapist really wants to help you get on the way to true healing it's more important not to be saying oh god what's the matter with you but what really matters to you what what are you going to be aspiring to achieve going forward what where are you now who are the people in your orbit who are your tribe? How can we move you forward? As you say, what are your passions, your joy, your fears? And who's who's going to be there supporting you while you enter into this therapeutic relationship? Because as you quite rightly said earlier on, 
there may be a situation where Sarah Parker is not the right therapist for this person, or equally, Sarah Parker might be the right therapist, but the time might be wrong. And yeah. and sometimes we come to things just we we have a a deep desire to get well, but we all know that for other reasons, sometimes it's just not right. It's just not right. Absolutely, and I think that I always will hold hope. Always irritatingly so Debbie for some people <laughs> but but I if that's the worst them. criticism that you can have Sarah <laughs> you just take that one on the chin she's the woman who holds hope go on hold it against her <laughs> yeah hold it against me by all means because I know that you know I'm sure it was the same for you there were times in my journey that I'd lost sight of any hope and that somebody else could hold it for me was so central because that helped me know that I couldn't hold it. I couldn't see it, but it wasn't gone somehow. It was just out of my grasp and out of my sight. And so I will hold that always and, and, and make no apologies for it. But I also recognize that sometimes having somebody hold that and having somebody want to get to know the person behind the mask of the eating disorder feels really daunting and scary too and so it's it's that dance between okay this person's backing off a bit as I'm asking these questions so I'll back off a bit too and I'll just you know we'll create a space that starts to feel more and more comfortable and if that's the best we can do in those early sessions that's really significant you know that trust and that finding a space where somebody can share what's the most scary to them, the most shameful to them, whatever's going in. If I can't create that space, we can't have real, truthful, honest, open conversations that can bring about shift. Wow, that's so important. So important. So we've we've talked about the kind of bit of the relationship. We talked a little bit about timing. I'm curious to know, what are your views? So if we if we go back to those kind of core things where someone's listening to this and thinking, I'm ready to find somebody to be my recovery coach my therapist my practitioner whatever you want whatever label you want to put on it where do you sit on things like kind of qualifications credentials what gives someone credibility I know I've been to people that have listed among a zillion other things eating disorder support and I've questioned once I've sat down with them is that really true what qualifications have you had and equally are there good enough qualifications to justify that tag but but is that the is that the vital thing or is it equally important that that person has perhaps had an experience of an eating disorder now some might say some might might arguably and I don't know whether you've come across this some people might look at me to do befriending or you to be a therapist and say oh no 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 I absolutely do not want to be with somebody who has had an eating disorder because I don't think it's possible for that person to be in a good place to support me or somebody else might say eating disorders are so distinct and difficult to fathom even even for a kind of medical professional I absolutely want somebody with and I know not everybody loves the phrase lived experience, but mm-hmm. who has lived in the world of an eating disorder. So so is there a one or other? Has has it got to be letters after the name? Has it got to be I had an eating disorder for a decade? What, what do you think, Sarah? Well, I think that 
I don't think there is an easy answer. The way I see it is, I mean, there's a, a brilliant Michael J. Fox quote, and I can't quote you it exactly, but it's something like we must, because he has Parkinson's, and That's I guess right. he's yeah. Himself, but the quote is something about the idea of we must never forget that the person experiencing the problem is the expert. And that's really how I see it. I have a set of qualifications that I think can be really helpful. I also, I think I'm a human being that's innately compassionate, innately yeah. curious. And so, you know, outside of my qualifications, I think they're really helpful things to think about. But what I'm also, what I think is also important is respect for the person that's sitting in front of you. What yeah. do they bring? What do they know? Because actually they know so much more about their stuff than I know. I'm just here being curious about that and seeing what I can see as an inroad or an opening up. Or, but I think that there will always be some people that seek out qualifications because they believe that that's the thing that's most helpful. And that's fine because if we believe something's going to help, it generally will. Yeah. And if we believe it won't. It generally won't. There'll be a barrier there to overcome. So I think that's one thing to say. But I think the other thing is it's about fit. You know, I could buy a designer coat and it could be the most beautiful coat in the world. But if it isn't the right fit for me and it doesn't suit me, then I'm not going to wear it. And I think yeah. whoever we work with in our journey towards well-being – I think they've got to be the right fit for us too. And so there will be some people that seek out qualifications more than lived experience. There'll be some people that seek the other out. And I think it's about being open with yourself as to what do I need from this person? What am I hoping for? What looks important to me? And it, it might take two or three attempts to find the right fit because it might be that we think, for example, qualifications more important we go for that and actually we think oh they don't get me at all I don't get this problem at all I do think some experience either of living with or working with eating disorders is so important because I think a qualification generically even in psychology in medicine in counseling in CBT that doesn't give us what we need because we need experience of being around whether that be experience ourselves or experience of others having eating disorders I think that's vital because a qualification yeah. in an approach doesn't give us information about eating disorders and because as you said Debbie they're so nuanced they're so different from other mental health conditions and, and the individually you know somebody once said to me there are as many causes for eating disorders as there are people with eating disorders. And that's about the individuality of an eating disorder. We can't know because I've lived with anorexia. I can't know what somebody's anorexia means to them and what the what the cure is for them, if that's even a thing. But what what the well-being journey is for them, I can only know what they tell me is right for them. And then we work as a team towards that. Yeah. Well, I think just in that answering of that last question there, I think you've hit on something that you were just saying about the kind of that person's story and and having that empathy and understanding to be able to kind of hear what's what's right for them. I think 
the the final element that I would say about starting any therapeutic relationship, and I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are, are just remembering that you are not a passive participant in this relationship. So you can have the best therapist in the world. You can pay a thousand pound a session or a mm. million pound a session, but you've got to show up. Yeah. You've got to show up. You've got to be honest and you've got to be authentic because you know, I speak as someone who had a lot of therapy at different ages and stages. And some of it was, I might as well have just gone and burnt 10 pound notes in the garden and shouted into the breeze. And equally, you know, other times when I was really ready to show up and be honest and authentic, but found the wrong therapist was sitting opposite me. But yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know what you think, but I, I just think remembering that when we engage in that relationship, it, it is it is exactly that. It is two way. Do not expect the therapist to sit and broadcast suggestions to you. You are there to share where you're at, even if sometimes you sit there with, as I did often, like, you know, when you're having a bad day and it's almost a lump in your throat and you can't communicate. But you've got to have the intention to bear all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a good point, Debbie. And I think that it's always got to be teamwork, always got to be teamwork. And I think that the reality is change and recovery from an eating disorder is hard. Mm. And if we're prepared for that hardship, we step into it knowing. I think that it takes time and I don't think there's a definitive answer as to how long it takes um, or what it looks like for each person. But what we do know is it is teamwork and it is about working together in a direction and doing the thing that feels right, because sometimes we don't want to do it. Often my alarm goes off in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed and in the shower, but I do what's right for me because my job and helping people is important to me. And I think we've got to see that sometimes we won't want to do what's needed to be done for recovery because it's hard and it's familiar where we are. And it's knowing that sometimes we do the hard thing in honor of that long term recovery goal. Yeah. And, and, and no therapist can get me out of bed in the morning. No therapist can make me do the thing that's hard. I can do that. And sometimes I'll need support to do that. It might be Brian, my husband, trying to throw me out of bed or pull the duvet off. <laughs> but, but, but it's about knowing that ultimately the person that sits up, puts my feet on the floor and walks towards the bathroom, I do that. We need help sometimes along the way. And that's really central. But we've got to do the doing ourselves too. It's both. Such, such helpful advice and, and such a really useful insight into that therapeutic relationship. And thank you, Sarah. I'm so glad to connect with you again and, and have another check-in and conversation with you. And um, I can't uh, encourage you all enough to find out more about Sarah and her work. We'll link to her website in the show notes of this episode, but please do reach out and get in touch with Sarah because I'm sure you'll find she is the perfect fit for a great many of you if you find that uh, someone like Sarah would be good for where you're at in your recovery journey right now. That's it for the latest episode of the Wednesday's Child podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Keep focused on your recovery and please reach out anytime, share your story, ask your questions. You can email us on hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk. Bye.